Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective with your host, Tim. And Shannon. It's opinion, fact, information, and your alert system. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Welcome to Right Spokane Perspective, this local government Monday episode we're going to be doing here. There's a lot of stuff going on at the state level. The legislature is still in session, so probably your pets, your property, your wallet, nothing is safe, nothing is off the table as far as the local government is concerned when you're talking about Washington State or the city council. Tonight is a city council meeting, so we'll be covering a few things there and some local headlines about city and local government. So don't go anywhere right now. We've got to get some inspiration Our inspiration is going to be talking about warning sounds. Ever had a close encounter with a rattlesnake? If so, you might have noticed that the sound of the rattle seemed to get more intense as you moved nearer to the viper. Research in the scientific journal Current Biology reveals that the snakes do increase their rattling rate when a threat is approaching. This high-frequency mode can cause us to think they're closer than they really are. As one researcher put it, the misinterpretation of distance by the listener creates a distance safety margin. People can sometimes use increasing volume with harsh words that push others away during a conflict, exhibiting anger and resorting to shouting. The writer of Proverbs shares some wise advice for times like these. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He goes on to say that soothing and wise words can be a tree of life and a source of knowledge. Jesus provides the ultimate reasons for gently appealing to those with whom we enter into conflict, extending love that reveals us to be his children and seeking reconciliation or winning them over. Instead of raising our voice or using unkind words during conflicts, may we show civility, wisdom, and love to others as God guides us by his spirit. Heavenly Father, help us to lovingly address issues with those whom we disagree with. In Jesus' name, amen. We often need to think about that because we think about government as those vipers that rattle anytime we come near. There is a city council meeting tonight and, you know, the city government as well as the state government often hear kind of an interesting sound when they're pushing legislation and passing bills and changing things in the world around us and things that will change our world. And all they hear is, Oh, that's right. That's crickets. Yes. Cause they're not hearing from us. They need to hear from the citizens that they're affecting through taxes, through regulation, through confiscation of our properties, whether it's through taxation or property use things like city council will be talking about in tonight's meeting. So we've got some coverage there. Obviously we've had this whole thing with camp hope going on and they're saying that the population is shrinking, but Shannon, my concern with camp hope never closing, we thought it was going to close. There was moves that they said it was going to be closing, but it still hasn't closed. And of course we saw tons of money dumped into there. I think there was 24 million just from the department of commerce that was dedicated to camp dope. Now, Oh, department of commerce, Speaking of that, you've got uh, former chancellor, BSU University, I believe it was. WSU. And you have former senator. Let me guess. Lisa Brown. That's right. Lisa Brown. Uh, She is going to quit her day job, according to the headlines. She may run for mayor. Now, I'm not the 
sure that she's actually going to do that. I don't think there's been actually an announcement, but to see someone who helped fund the continuation of Camp Dope, when you've got you know local organizations that are pushing to get drug addicts and the homeless population off the streets, obviously off of state land would probably be another. So Shannon, I'm thinking that Camp Dope is going to grow. You know, as the temperatures get warmer, the, the people are going to want to leave the shelters. And again, whether it's the organizations that are involved that are obviously bringing in lots and lots of government money to keep Camp Dope open because their contracts are going to continue with Camp Dope, whether it's security or other services. Jules Helping Hands. She doesn't want to end her organization and her organization only has money coming in because Camp Hope is still there off of, you know, Thor and what is that? Second Avenue. Thor and Second. So we're going to see Camp Hope, I think, grow. If they don't close it, how are they going to well, stop it? For, if, if they allow that one block be contained around the fencing, who's to say summer doesn't happen? And they do like the Democrats have talked about the summer of love. And they, they just invite a whole bunch of homeless individuals from Portland and Seattle and, and other areas around the region to come camp out on the rest of the washed out property down there. I don't see how there's much of a deterrent since this camp was supposed to be closed, according to the former sheriff, according to the mayor. Of course, the mayor's wanted to. Law enforcement's been locked out from doing duties on that specific site. Why wouldn't the homeless individuals and the organizations that are making money on the government's contracts not want to expand Well, that? and you've got that article there, and those contracts went through the Department of of Commerce, who Lisa Brown is in charge of, they were funded, they were approved, and the money was sent out. Our tax, our tax dollars were sent out. I want to look ahead, and I know it doesn't say in there that she's going to run for mayor or that she's going to run for any office, but l let's think about this a little bit. All of those listeners out there that might think that they could do a better job than the people that we have in leadership right now, would you really want someone like Lisa Brown running for Spokane mayor? We've seen what she can do with our tax dollars through the the Department of Commerce. We give her control of the mayor's seat. And what are we going to see happen to our city? We'll see if she even runs. I mean, obviously, we're also coming up on that time period where it's filing week. I believe it's in first part of May. I'll have to double check those dates. And as that time comes up, we'll be announcing that on the radio. But people should think about running for city council if you live inside of the city limits. Of course, if you run for other city councils and school boards, depending on the, the boundaries that that folks are in and so that time's coming up it's time to and we're asking you please it, do please let any of those seats go uncontested a lot of them should be contested because there's a lot of things happening at city government now this is just i'm going to pull from an article this what was it this last week in the spokesman review and it was talking about city council mulling a parking tax incentive now, this is interesting. A lot of There's a lot of debate over surface parking, how valuable that is. Because, of course, a parking garage uses real estate a lot more effectively for parking, and especially in the downtown core, than having just a, a surface parking lot. So parking garage is better, obviously. More parking stalls. But the city of Spokane is considering a tax incentive program authorized by the state legislature in 2022 to encourage the building of housing on underdeveloped urban areas, they're calling it. Basically, they're looking at parking lots. So specifically, this ordinance sponsored by Zach Sapone and Lori Kinnear would deter both state and local sales and use taxes, total of 9%, for developers 
who turn downtown parking lots into housing, at least 50% of which must be affordable to low and very low income housing. So if development, basically the development companies maintain those affordable units for at least 10 years, their taxes would not need to be paid. They wouldn't have to pay property taxes on those lots. But we would have less parking in downtown, less hoop space for Hoopfest. And I want to go back to the other conversation with the completion of the North-South Freeway being connected to I-90 and all that empty space down there that won't be used for the new North-South Freeway that they could actually build the new houses on that is not in downtown. Well, there there is that issue where there is some vacant land that could be used to build houses. Of course, there's empty city lots here and there scattered uh, around the city. But they did a study when they were mulling over this idea. And the study found that there was, back in 2019, they found that there was 37,000 parking spaces in downtown Spokane, 85% of which were off-street parking. So the city actually owns and manages about 15% of those parking spaces, those 37,000, most of which are on the street because we already paid for the asphalt. So... It's not like the city government has, it's just on street parking that you have to pay for by the meter, but these private held parking lots, okay, if they get turned at my thing, it's not about the North South freeway or or the housing. It's that the city government, county government, state government, where we subsidize the building of these stadiums downtown, right? So we've got the podium, the soccer stadium being built or built, and you've got the arena, the convention center. They're doing all these things with our other tax dollars to build these event centers. That have no parking, just so you know. That don't have, well, not all of them. Some of them have parking, but not all of them. So you get rid of these, this parking. How are these people supposed to fly into Spokane, rent a car, and then visit area businesses and all this economic development they're talking about if they get rid of the parking? Right. If there's nowhere to park, you can't hold graduations downtown anymore because there's nowhere to park. Right. Right. So I, I think that it's short sighted, but this is something they're mulling around. I don't see that there is an ordinance that would put this into place at this point. But just know your local government is looking to definitely change the landscape downtown. And uh, maybe they should hear from you. They shouldn't hear just crickets. But, and I know at some point in time, we got to get to the state legislature, some of the things they're doing. But we also need to get to the city council meeting that will be happening this Monday, as city council meetings typically happen on Mondays, unless it's a holiday, unless they're on vacation, unless they just don't feel like having a meeting. You know, they have lots of Mondays off, which is fine. They are having a meeting tonight. They are having a meeting tonight. And tonight there is actually something that's really important on there. It's a final reading on an ordinance, a landlord-tenant ordinance. And if, if you're a renter or you're a landlord, renters, your rents are going to go up and it isn't going to be pretty. We already have a problem with housing. We already have a problem with people being able to pay their rent as it is because they've had to increase the rents to pay for the extra insurance and the other other things that go wrong. And what, so what was the ordinance number on that one? It's ordinance number C-36330. With this ordinance, we've talked about it before, Mike and I had talked about the creation of this ordinance weeks ago because they were mulling this idea over. And of course, you know, they wanted to force landlords to provide registration, voter registration forms to tenants. There's all these requirements in there, get a business license, all these other things. What, what did you see in there just as in the beginning description of it? So there's 18 pages 
in this ordinance and 18 pages of regulations having to do with landlord tenant issues and they don't think that's going to increase rents they're nuts well so here's here's what it does so there is going to be i'm reading out of section 0706139 which is code enforcement fund the funds received from landlord registration business license fees and per residential rental unit fees in section A shall be used exclusively to fund the rental registry and the expenses related to the investigation, enforcement, and housing navigation services related to the state and municipal laws related to the habitability and safety of residential rental units and laws governing the relationships between landlords and tenants for properties located within the city of Spokane. So what this does does is this creates not only a rental registry so now landlords will have to pay business license fees in the city of Spokane they will have to have business licenses for each of their rental units well there's going to be inspection fees and all that stuff and this whole thing you're just building a bureaucracy around the landlord tenant issues you're building a bureaucracy there's already code enforcement so there's problems with properties they can be turned into the city you know, there's state laws regarding inhabitable type arrangements for landlords, property owners in general. So this just adds a whole bunch more cost to property owners that rent. And of course, all of those fees and all of those requirements, all those things are going to add to the cost for individuals that want to rent a place to live. So folks should get involved. They should contact their city council. They should contact their state representatives because there's issues at the state level uh, on this as well, where they would greatly expand government's reach into rental housing and it's going to increase costs we're going to have to take a break we will be right back we want to thank god and you the listeners for the opportunity to continue the right spokane perspective radio show and podcast programming we sincerely thank mike fagan for 12 years of dedication to our listeners and guests of the right spokane perspective listeners it's because of your support we continue to bring you facts commentary and alerts on what's happening in local government politics and issues affecting us all please send your most generous support to right spokane perspective llc p.o box 7620 spokane wa 99207 thanks again and back to the show and welcome back to Local Government Monday on Right Spokane Perspective. Yes, we were talking about city government and their desires to get involved in rental housing. And of course, we know that uh, people would like socialized government being involved in housing. Yes, there are local elections coming up and people can hopefully file for those positions and get involved in city government. But they can also testify on the legislation that city government's going to pass, just like you can testify on what's going on with state government. But there's an amazing thing that happened with housing this last week to me, it seemed, and Shannon pointed it out to me, that there was a, a story. Did you want to continue on on this one, but, or do you want to talk about no, the story with the veteran? No, I want to talk about the story. Okay, yeah. so first half, we talk about Camp Hope population continues to shrink. We don't think it's going to because it's going to get warmer out. And of course, they shrank the, the fenced-in area. But how are they going to stop people from just moving in into other areas down there when obviously the police aren't supposed to be dealing with Camp Hope? And it, you know, how are they going to remove people if they just move in and set up a tent a block down the street on the same, you know, wash dot properties i don't know it's been over a year and they still haven't been moved and, out and, and they still haven't well it's been over a year well and there's other encampments as well that people haven't been permanently moved out of and they'll temporarily move them clean up the garbage refuse whatever the human waste whatever it is there and then the people will move back in to, to some of the other encampments you know there's several 
around the city, not just Camp Hope. So there's this a situation that was reported on in local media, and we can't share the audio on the show today because we don't have it for you, but you can go. We'll link the, the news coverage on our Facebook page when we post the podcast because this, this is, I don't know, I just thought, okay, well, government can't really enforce the law over here when it comes to people that are, there's criminal actions, there's theft, there's all sorts of things going on in this homeless encampment. They can't handle that for some reason, but they can go after a private property owner and a veteran. In Hilliard, for no reason. So the city of Spokane gave a Hilliard Marine veteran a 14-day notice to vacate his RV. So Mr. Stephen Wright found a letter from Spokane Neighborhood Services and code enforcement in his mailbox on Thursday morning, citing him for three violations, having a parked vehicle in the front yard, exterior storage, and living in an RV. The use of an RV is only permitted for 15 days a year, said the letter. After that time period, the use of an RV must cease. Well, that's kind of interesting to me, too, because that's in the city government ordinance, obviously. But there's lots of folks, and I've seen it out in the county, in Spokane County, where people purchase land and they're living in an RV while, while their house is getting house. built. And sometimes it's a, a year or two year process. So, it, But the other part of it is, so this guy's been... In this location for how long? He's been in living in this RV for seven years. His brother owns the property. He's doing security for the property for his brother, and nobody has bothered him. So essentially, for this, seven years, this story made it. What was this KXLY coverage? This is KXLY coverage. So the story made it onto KXLY because he brought it to their attention. Look, I'm I'm being moved off this property now. A, a lot of that area around that address, there's actually a lot of commercial land that's in that area. I know in the story that they're a complaint-driven entity. And in the story, the news coverage, it actually stated that they didn't have a problem with the RV being parked on the land. The RV can be parked where it is. That's not their problem. The problem is that it's his home. Well, he's living in it. And of course, there'll be fines that will go to the property owner. And I don't think the property owner is all that wealthy from the the looks of things that I saw in the news coverage. But it just, it seems really hypocritical. And I, and I understand people in the city don't want to see their community turned into homeless encampments that everybody's living in an old RV. Because, you know, we want people to live in homes that are hooked up to the sewer, that have clean drinking water, right? But at the same time, they own the land. If They're they, paying taxes on the If they own the, the land, land, they pay taxes on the land. This guy hasn't... I didn't see any anything The city hasn't coverage. had to put up a fence around it to keep people there, in. Well, and there isn't a bunch of money being pushed into it. The guy's living in his own RV. He's probably... He's doing security uh, because there was a string of thefts. He's probably living on social security. Maybe there's a neighbor that's complaining. I don't know who, who lodged the complaint with the city. But maybe I have no idea who lodged the complaint. But I know that if the city can handle a Marine living in an RV that's violating city codes in, I would think this neighborhood, I would, I would call this neighborhood dirt roads, commercial properties, many of them vacant, uh, lots of open spaces that have not been developed in that area, in those neighborhoods. I don't see the harm that this veteran is really causing. I'd like to see more in-depth coverage on this in the future, but city government can handle this veteran living on private property 
in an RV, but they can't handle all the RVs that are, and I know they do. I know the city goes around and will tow RVs of, you know, they're basically drug havens, if you will. They're not the love wagons. Maybe that's what they are. Maybe that's what they call them. I don't know. But there are RVs parked around neighborhoods and there's whole areas of government land like Camp Dope, but there's other areas of government land and private land that have become <laughs> inhabited. Inhabited. They became inhabited by homeless individuals. Actually, we got that term. What did I change that? Drug addicted transients. Decide to pitch up tents in these locations and the government can't seem to handle them. So what they do, the government doesn't have to pay a fine because government's just us who would have to, you know, just charging taxpayers from one entity to another. So they allow the behavior to continue at these other drug addicted I just don't understand why when we have a housing shortage, we have a shortage in availability of low-income housing not available for people. But there's lots of low-income housing being built. It seems to me like we're looking for a migration of low-income people to move to Spokane so that more housing can be built either downtown in the parking lots like we were talking about or get on government subsidies inside of Spokane. Like maybe Seattle wants to move some of their not built population yet. here. And right here they're saying there's a... Par- a vehicle parked in the front yard, but if you actually listen to the audio, the the person from the city says they don't have a problem with the RV where it's parked. So is it or is it not a problem? Exterior storage. So he's storing some things outside of the, of the RV, and the biggest crux of the matter is that he's living in the RV. He's well, not hurting anybody. Well, I think, you know, maybe there's a mess. Maybe it needs to be cleaned up a little bit. Maybe it could be approached differently, but you're going to have a private property owner that's going to get massive fines. Was he offered any services? Or did they, they, according to this, they just gave him a 14-day eviction notice? Right, yeah, I wonder if... How come he didn't get offered services like the people down at Camp Hope? He's a veteran. Where's the veteran services? Yeah, well, Camp Dope's got fencing. They've got privacy fencing. They've got uh, government subsidized. Free refuse services. Yeah, free refuse services. They've got uh, uh, big lighting. The government subsidized lighting. Yeah, free toilets, showers. Yeah, I I don't think they're offering it to this veteran. A heating shelter, a cooling a cooling shelter, heating right. warming shelter. Well, so Dude, we don't understand that situation, food? but here's the two-tiered justice system when you're talking about they're looking at making an actual veteran homeless and making him homeless. Making him homeless, but they can't deal with the drug addicted transients. Uh, you know, it just it's, it seems counter productive at this point. I think they should find a way to mitigate the problems that maybe neighbors have. I mean, if he's got junk laying around and they don't like the looks of it, maybe there's some services. Like you said, maybe they can mitigate those problems. Otherwise, we got to jump to another topic and that topic is going to be on city council. They're going to purchase cameras to go downtown. They're looking at reducing crime. So they're going to pay $30,000 for uh, an annual contract for mobile camera system. Apparently, it's been pretty effective in the parking area. I think it's Lewis and Clark uh, area where they've seen a a reduction in crime. So they're going to use uh, digital technologies stored in the cloud. But the city government's also doing other things. Actually, the state government, I wonder, do we even have time to cover all those pieces of legislation? But maybe we should cover a few of them because we ended up getting a message from Representative Joe Schmick. I believe he's a representative out of the 9th Legislative District. And uh, he has a bunch of bills that we have this thing called cutoff date for bills in the Washington legislature. And basically what it means is if it hasn't made it through committees or one of the houses, then it can't continue 
you further. And so he sent a list of the bills that he highlighted. It's not all the bills. It's just a list of the bills he highlighted that he thought would be important for people to know about. So Shannon's got that list in hand. So he says the good bills, House Bill 1000, received a public hearing, would provide sales tax relief by expanding the working families tax credit. House Bill 1003 would expand access to dual credit programs that when passed the House Education Committee. House Bill 1013 would establish a regional apprenticeship program that one passed the House Committee. So that list that you've got is also the good bills that he thinks would be good ones to pass. Establishing a regional apprenticeship program, you know, we're looking for more people in lots of different things, whether it's construction, law enforcement. There's a lot of places where there are short individuals for work. So that was House Bill 1013. Now, House Bill 1053 that he says uh, it looks like it could go through, but they'd like to see some support for it, would restore the threshold to begin a vehicle pursuit to reasonable suspicion that a crime hazard is being committed. And uh, that's it's the police pursuit bill. Again, House Bill 1053. So he's looking at that one. And he's also looking at House Bill 1210. It would require all school district board meetings to be audio recorded with recordings kept for at least one year. So that has to do with the you know public disclosure laws and Open Meetings Act, I guess, if you will. I've got House Bill 1633 would create a Homes for Heroes program and provide down payment assistance for heroic professions Washington, Washington State needs more of, including police officers, firefighters, and EMTs and nurses that pass the housing committee. House Bill 1682 would increase funding for preventing, investigating, and prosecuting auto theft. Yeah, and that's a that's a big one. Well, and we got to get these House bills completely through the House so that they can be heard by the Senate, so that the Senate can take action to get these bills to the governor's desk. Because obviously, there's a lot of crime and increased crime. We're looking at a lot of car thefts have occurred. One of the bad ones that he said has passed out was House Bill 1024 would require an incarcerated person participating in a correctional industries work program to be paid no less than the state minimum wage. What was that? House Bill 1024 would require an incarcerated person participating in a correctional industries work program be paid no less than the state minimum wage. And he says that's a bad one because obviously... The state does engage in work release programs and uh, talking about training, the one he wanted to pass on the apprenticeship program. Well, what if you've got to train these people? They have no training whatsoever. Are they going to start paying the kids to go to school? You know, because you want these people when they're done in their incarceration to be able to get. Now, of course, some people will make the argument, well, you can't pay them three cents an hour while they're incarcerated. Do they want to go out and learn some skills while they're incarcerated or do they just want to sit in a cell? You know, so I I think it's going to take opportunities away from inmates because they're, they're not going to be able to engage in commerce so that when they get out of prison they can or jail they can find a job in something that they maybe got some training in while they were incarcerated instead of just sitting in a cell house bill 1045 would establish a basic income pilot program passed a by basic the house. income pilot program that's what it said it would establish a basic income pilot program now okay, so we're my, using more government is, money why to, would it pass out of the house human services youth and early learning committee well mm. it goes through a lot of different committees obviously that's not a financial committee as much but you look at a universal basic basic income, they're going to do a pilot project. So they're going to identify a low income area and they're going to give free money to people. The only problem I see with that is
is that, of course, you start that pilot program and then people in other communities that are also low income are going to say, where was our free money? Discriminatory. You gave them free money. Now give us free money. And the free money game is just going to get played. And of course, we're just going to you know, fund more poverty is what we're going to do. We're going to fund more drug addiction. We're going to fund more crime because we're just going to hand money to people. Oh, look, you find yourself in a poor position. We're going to give you money. And to do what? I think it's probably better position. If we're going to spend money on things, spend money on, I don't know, training inmates. Oh, wait, no, you can't do that because that's not an affordable program anymore because we're going to pay all them $16 an hour while they're in prison to go learn a trade. And it gets to go into a savings account instead of paying back the rest of us taxpayers to pay for them to be incarcerated. That's just my thought on that matter. Yeah, pretty uh, crazy. House Bill 1143 was requested by the governor would establish significant new requirements to legally purchase or transfer a firearm, including a new permit requirement with fingerprinting in addition to a background check don't we already have all that we already have a lot of that obviously there's gun laws in washington state that are not being enforced there's no possible way to enforce them the way that they've real with them in the law there's gun laws in washington state that are currently in court like we've talked about on this show because of their possible unconstitutionality so i i think that we got bigger problems in this state the governor shouldn't be looking at restricting uh, people's gun rights, of course, they're going to say, oh, gun crimes, except for law-abiding citizens aren't the ones committing the crimes. It's the criminals they keep letting out of prison. If you want to talk about a, a bill that's interesting that they're looking at passing that would get rid of some illegal activity, the state would help fund with House Bill 1373. The state would help fund the removal of illegal encampments near schools, child care centers, parks, and courthouses. Hmm, maybe they should focus more on those types of things. Okay, so there's lots of bills in the legislature, both good and bad. I got to thank Joe Schmick for sending us a list of the good and bads, at least the ones that he saw were, were a big issue. Of course, there's a lot of good bills that I think the legislature's trying to block, like House Bill 1380 that would provide funding for the recruitment, retention, and support of law enforcement officers, which were lacking, as we heard of uh, last week, from uh, Officer Prim. So, folks, we're out of time for today. We covered a little bit of local government. There's a lot of things happening in local government. And don't let your local government continue to hear the sound of crickets. Contact them. Use the website, ledge.wa.gov, as your own personal social media because it is something that you pay for. And you can go on and make comments on all of the issues to your heart's desire. That being said, we'll see you tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.